What's up, everybody? My name is James D. Fiore, and this is Blackballed. I'm really, really excited about our show today. Uh, we have two guests. Um, later on in the show, we'll be speaking to biostatistician uh, Ryan Im Imgrind, and uh, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff. But first, and I know he's in a hurry, so I'll get right to it. We have the leader of the People's Party of Canada. His name is Max Bernier, and Max, welcome to welcome back to Blackball. How are you, buddy? Yes, great. Thank you very much for that invitation. I'm very pleased to be with you and taking the time to answer your questions. Good. I would like to treat this like a conversation, so I don't want any media media training stuff because I can spot that it's, stuff it, a mile it, away. It, no, I'm not like that. <laughs> okay. Um, I know that you want to do politics differently. Remember that. You don't have to tell yeah. me that. I, I already know. Um, I'm going to put up a picture and then I'm going to ask you a question and then we'll get this conversation going. When this happened at Queens Park, um, to be honest, um, I, I can't even remember the protest. It was a couple of years ago, I think, at Queens Park. Um, and I believe it was health cuts or education cuts. I, it, it doesn't even matter to me because the point of this picture and the reason why I'm showing you this picture is because when this came out, I thought it was disgusting. I thought it was abhorrent. I support their right to, uh, um, you know, for, uh, to exercise their, their right to free speech. And I exercise my right by calling them assholes for doing it. I just think that it, there's, there's nothing worse than that. Um, the reason why I'm showing you that is because I think that there, there's a point of agreement that you and I would have, one of a few, I'm sure, um, where I find that the rigid left has sort of an infallibility complex where they can, um, they do things like that and they, they seem to have all these amazing reasons as to why they do it and the, the ends justify the means and all that kind of stuff. Um, we both know that the left can be wrong about a lot of things. And so I am curious because you're on the other side of the political spectrum. Are you able to entertain the idea that you're wrong about a bunch of stuff when it comes to this pandemic? Yeah, absolutely. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but uh, I'm looking at the data. I'm looking at the science. I'm looking at, you know, at uh, what happened in other countries. And, um, you know, that's why I believe that our position on COVID-19 was the best one and, and the one that uh, uh, we didn't follow as a country. But I believe that was a huge mistake. And uh, history will, uh, will tell us if I'm right or wrong. Uh, but, you know, I'm not a doctor, but I can read re report. I can read. And uh, I know that, you know, we didn't protect the most vulnerable, specifically in Quebec and in Ontario. Uh, that was under the, the responsibility of the, these uh, two provincial governments and they did very bad. We have two reports about that, one in Ontario, one in Quebec. So, yeah, it's uh, and now I believe that, uh, you know, it's not a question of uh, vaccinated people against uh, unvaccinated people. It's a question just to regain our freedoms and our lives back like uh, before COVID-19 for everybody. What are you afraid of as far as um, as far as losing liberty and losing freedom? What, what legislation can you point to? What um, lessons in history do you think that we have to adhere to in order to save ourselves from what you seem to describe as tyranny? 
Like, I, 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 I'm hoping you can be specific. Like, and you can point to the legislation rather than um, just just sort of saying that the government yeah. is. Yeah, for sure. In Quebec, in Ontario, we are still under the emergency state. There's no emergency anymore. Uh, you know, the last uh, variant, uh, Omicron, it, it's like a big flu. That's it, you know. And now we are still under that uh, emergency uh, order in Quebec and also in Ontario and maybe in other provinces. Uh, and, you know, <clears throat> there's no emergency. There's no reason not to uh, have debates in parliaments, uh, not to be able to fly across the country. Like, uh, actually, today I'll give you a scoop. Uh, today, uh, in an hour, uh, I will table a suit a case against the federal government for me not being able to travel as an unvaccinated Canadian. I cannot travel by plane in our country. That's against our my constitutional rights, and, and it's illegal. So, you know, a democratic country won't do that. And, and the worst of that is, uh, remember, remember, all these establishment politicians, they were saying to push everybody to take the two shots that and their goal was to make our lives more difficult miserable <laughs> they said that in quebec and you know we're gonna push on a vaccine passport i won't be able to go to a restaurant and i'm not able to go to a restaurant in quebec or or, or to a gym and uh, you know that's that's not respecting my rights that's uh, and when they're doing that when they're imposing that by not passing a legislation and having a debate in the in the Assembly Nationale au Québec and in Parliament in Ontario, when you you, you use the uh, state emergency with a, a decree, you said that I don't have this right, and there's no debate in the House, there's no debate in Parliament. That's not a democracy. That's tyranny. They are imposing their point of view without having to debate in the parliament but a lot of this has to do with a disagreement on what the science is and <clears throat> this has been with us um in a big way since i would say february march 2020 and it was always seen as for most of us it was always seen as a very fluid situation um that what was true one day was not necessarily true the next <clears throat> excuse me the evolution of the virus um the unvaccinated, uh, uh, you know, uh, or the vaccination rate not not um, happening as fast as medical professionals would like would have liked it to happen. Wasn't there a time where you might have had some pause and, and in order to gather the the facts in an ever changing uh, situation like like you guys have stayed you when I say you guys, I mean, um, yourself your party your supporters and and the people at these convoys and and the protests you guys have remained consistent in a situation that wasn't consistent so and and what i'm trying to get at is that is you could have been right but then you were wrong for four months and then maybe you were right again like don't you find that this situation is so difficult and so complex that it would be impossible to say yeah i've been right the whole time no, the, the situation was the same. You know, uh, I must admit that in the beginning of that pandemic, the first maybe two months, I was not sure. But after that, we had uh, cases coming from other countries and data coming from other countries and saying that, you know, the most vulnerable are older people with uh, comorbidities 
And actually, that was a fact that what happened in Quebec and in Canada, 80% of the deaths were people older with comorbidities. That's why early in the beginning, I decided not to take the two shots because, you know, I'm 59 years old, I'm in shape, I'm running every day, I don't have any comorbidities. And I, I, I looked at the data at that time and my chances of surviving if I had COVID was 95, 99, sorry, 0.95%. So I said, you know, I don't need that vaccine. And actually, I was right, because last October, I caught, uh, I had COVID-19, the Delta variant, and I was, I was in my bed for maybe three days. And after that, everything was okay. So now I have very good antibodies, and, um, and I'm okay. So we had the data early in the beginning, and we had some experts that you know time will tell us that they were right the great uh, Bollington declaration they said you know let's open the economy protect the most vulnerable and no mask and no they, they were right at that time so uh, and and it's too bad it, it, it's too bad the, the the what they did to the economy you know 500 billion dollars deficit uh, in the last two years, and we are paying for that right now by the inflation rate at 4.8. In U.S., it's at 7%. It will go up. Inflation is aid in tax. People, some people lost their job because they decided not to take the two shots. Uh, students uh, were not able to finish their university degree because they decided not to take the two shots. It, 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 it's crazy. And, and now we know there's no scientific based it's not based on anything uh imposing a vaccine passport we know that everybody can catch and spread that virus but i must admit i always said that in the beginning my dad is 87 years old and i told my dad he has comorbidities you must take the vaccine i'm looking at the data and he took the two shots but he doesn't want to take the third one <laughs> he said no you know i took the two shot it was supposed to be enough and uh, now that variant is a flu. And, uh, you know, I had flu before that in my life and I won't take the third shot. I said, it's, it's your decision. But we knew that in the beginning to protect the most vulnerable. And, uh, and now you have a population in Canada that's divided because of, uh, of uh, Trudeau and establishment politicians that you know, are saying that we are racist and xenophobe and white supremacists because we, we protest. Yes, uh, I understand what is happening on the bridge. Uh, the, uh, what's the name of that bridge in Ontario? The uh, uh, the Ambassador Bridge, I think. Ambassador Bridge, yeah. yeah. It's hurting a lot of businesses. But, you know, that's a kind of, uh, of a civil disobedience. And, and I agree with that. After two years, what they did, I agree with that. You know, if you want to stop all that, you just have to end all these mandates, like in other countries, like in Florida, like in Texas. I was in Florida, like I maybe told you before, for a month. And, you know, you don't have COVID-19 news every time you turn on the news. I don't watch TV anymore. I don't listen to the mainstream radio station in Quebec. It's all about COVID-19. And I said that in the beginning, people must learn to live with that virus and, and stop to live in fear. And um, so, so now 30% of the population are, are saying enough is enough. When, uh, when we started that, uh, maybe we had only 8% of the population. 
but thanks to Omicron. Thanks, because everybody knows, knows somebody that had it and it was like the flu. So now they understand, okay, why all that? It's, it's for a flu. So thanks to Omicron and thanks also to Trudeau when he imposed that right. vast pass for the Trump. <laughs> you, sound, you sound like you're accepting an Oscar, like you're, you're thanking all the people that helped you get here. Yeah, but, but Trudeau, he, he helped us, you know, because he, he, he helped us to show to every Canadian that it's not based on logic. These truckers were essential workers in the beginning of the pandemic. They were the only one that were able to cross our borders and, and it was closed for everybody else. We didn't have any vaccine at that time. And now, two years later, they are a danger for the population if they cross without having the vaccine. <laughs> and we know that everybody can spread it. We know that they're alone in their truck. So, you know, now the okay. common sense <clears throat> prevail and people understand. Yeah. So thanks to Trudeau, thanks to Macron, more people understand that we must live with that virus and, and all these variants that will come and go back to our life. So th there's a bunch there I want to get to. But the first thing I want to ask is, um, and I've heard you say this before, so this isn't controversial, um, that, and you just said it again, that we need to protect the most vulnerable. How do you reconcile protecting the most vulnerable with a big swath of the population not getting vaccinated and then therefore making the vulnerable more susceptible to the disease? Yeah, actually, they told us, take that vaccine, it will help you, that's for you, but also you're doing that for, for, for other people, for the people that you love. They won't catch that virus. That was a lie. That was a lie. You know, now we have a pandemic of, vac of vaccinated people. Okay, so but was it, vaccine, was it a... Was it, was it a the vaccine is only good to protect yourself against uh, severe COVID, uh, and, and that's it. The, that vaccine does not protect uh, for the transmission of the virus, everybody can right. catch okay. it. Okay, but so can, can we just clear something up before before you before you continue? Protect everybody and yourself. Be that was that was a lie. Right, but but before we go on to that, because I, I I really want to like nail this down because I I'm I'm a little bit confused because it does seem like you're contradicting yourself just a little bit, and the reason why is because is it a lie? Was that a lie, or were they just did they get it wrong? Uh, when you, when you push a vaccine like that and you're telling the population, remember, they told us two shots would be okay. You'll have a protection for a long term. And, and now it's three shot or four shot. I don't know. I don't count them anymore, but they were saying that. And they were saying when 70% of the population would be vaccinated, that would be it. And, and that's not the case. They are pushing, pushing for more people. So what I'm telling you, if they said that, our politicians said that to us, and they told us at that time that was based on science. So, <coughs> sorry, okay, that's so, why so I'm saying it was a lie because we right, know but it was it was based on it was based on pharmaceutical it was based on pharmaceutical research, right? <laughs> and and look, and I, I'm not I, I don't carry water for big pharma, right? But at the same time. I don't think that every single thing that they do is 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 wrong. So I, I'm wondering. I asked. Um, I had a I had a guest on the show, uh, doctor on the show on Tuesday, and I asked him. You know, because they overestimated the efficacy rate of the vaccine, it's doesn't it still mean that being vaccinated is more protection than not? And he said absolutely. And that's the and consensus. I agree with that. 
I agree with that. It's a protection for yourself if you have comorbidities against severe COVID. Uh, uh, you know, you will have less chances to go to an emergency room if you, if you have comorbidities and you had the vaccine. Yes, the vaccine can be um, uh, efficient and uh, for, for, for these people, you know. Uh, I, but I, it help, but it helps the most vulnerable. It helps the people with uh, pre-existing conditions, people who have diabetes, people who are overweight, people who are old. Absolutely. If the rest of the population, if the healthy people are vaccinated, like that would help the vulnerable. Correct? Yeah, but you know, it's like it's like if you're telling me, you know, take every year the vaccine for the flu. Uh, if you take that vaccine, you know, you, you you won't have the flu, and you won't you will have everybody you will help everybody else. So, but that was not mandatory to take the vaccine for the flu a couple of years ago and every year when they have that vaccine. So why a vaccine like that, that you can transmit that virus and you're saying, you know, I, I cannot have the right to travel and to sit in a, in a plane and, um, and I have antibodies. They don't recognize my antibodies and they're better. Doctors are saying and telling me that your antibodies are better than a, vac than a vaccine. Natural antibodies, natural immunity, it's better than an immunity coming from a vaccine. It's a fact in medicine. So now they don't. I had COVID. I had all the proof about that. I had the Delta variant, my wife also. And, uh, and I'm like uh, at risk. I'm not at risk. So, uh, you know, I can and I cannot sit with somebody that took the two shots and maybe can transmit the virus. <laughs> I had, but it's not, antibodies. but, but uh, I, I'll get off this after this question because, um, in a way, we're going nowhere because I, I do, I, I feel really strongly about the, the science, and I know that you feel strongly about the science too, but our science is different because the science that I'm familiar with, the, the, what seems to be the medical consensus, consensus among professional medical personnel is that they they got they overestimated the efficacy rate of the vaccine but those who are vaccinated still had a much better chance of dealing with this than people who were unvaccinated and i know that you have antibodies because you had uh covid and 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 all that but but given that there were so many people who were vulnerable in our society and I know that you have a staunch libertarian stance on this. I'm going to give you an example, okay? I remember, I think it was a Michael Moore documentary from years and years ago. I don't share his politics, so that's not why I'm bringing it up. But he was interviewing somebody. He was interviewing um, a Timothy McVeigh accomplice, I think. And they were talking about gun rights. They were actually talking about the right to bear arms. And the, I think it was Michael Moore asked this guy, you know, where does it end? Should every American have the right to a tactical nuke? And he was like, yeah, because there's going to be people who we will use it responsibly. And then there was another guy who's a pro-gun guy that said no. So th for a lot of people, there is sort of a cap when it comes to their ideology and their beliefs. When it comes to when it comes to pandemics, I mean, would it have to be leprosy in order for you to be like, OK, maybe the government has a point for making us stay indoors? Like, is there a cap for you or is it like it doesn't matter? It doesn't matter if it's the bubonic plague it just, it, I, I need my liberty. I should be able to do what I want. Or is there a, is there a reasonable cap for Maxime Bernier? Uh, you know, there's not. You know, when you started that, you, you know, you, you're telling people, you know, the state and the politician will tell you what to do with your own body. For me, it's not acceptable. And, and actually, maybe uh, we'll see. You know, 
I'm anxious to say to see uh, in a couple of uh, months or year from from now uh, what will be uh, what will be the history of all that. Uh, and oh. we'll have the data in every country, and we have some. And, and I can tell you, I said that was an experiment, a failed experiment. And we had a study from the Johns Hopkins University that said, you know, mass mandate, lockdowns were inefficient. So, so, uh, and we'll have more studies like that. We'll see what will happen. But I can tell you, for the first time in history, shutting down the country and look how the uh, perverse effects for with, with the population. Uh, suicide rate is uh, increasing and depression and uh, young, young people at school that they have to wear a mask every day when they are at their desk. Uh, you know, I'm not anti-mask, I'm not anti-vax, I'm for freedom of choice. Everybody right. must be free to decide and for kids it must be the parents who must decide if the kids will wear a mask or not. So, so, so it's, um, Maxine Bernier, we're not in a free society anymore. That's why, for me, you know, when the state is telling you what you must have in your bodies, and don't forget, it's an experimental vaccine until next year, and they, that vaccine right. and these vaccines were approved under emergency status and as an experimentation. But, it, but right. Well, two things. One, so you're pro leprosy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but the other thing would be that the uh, the the vaccines have proven to be safe, right? Like that, yeah. you know, yeah. So and it, and good for people like you just said before that had comorbidities. Uh, I know that in our movement there are some people that are saying, you know, the vaccine they're they're not good. We must end that. Uh, you know, I'm not a doctor. I can, but I believe mm -hmm. and I saw that you know the vaccine was very good for people with comorbidities, and like I said, but uh, other people that are saying, you know, the vaccine that was a disaster, they were not efficient, uh, we'll see uh, in the near future. But uh, for me, I think for people at risk, that's why I said to my dad, take it, and he took it. Okay, um, let's get off vaccines. Um, and uh, now I'm gonna preamble, I'm gonna preamble this uh, by letting you know that I do not, um, believe in guilt by association um the first time since i've been interested in politics that i've seen guilt by association be used in a nefarious way was probably uh jeremiah wright and, and barack obama i didn't care that he had a preacher that said what he said obama didn't say it it didn't matter to me um so i am not saying that you ascribe to these beliefs but you were sitting two feet away and i just want your opinion on this God's grace, we're going to show the population what it means to get back on the foundation. When you pull the foundation out, the house will not stand. By God's grace, I will stand and speak for God as long as I can. God bless you. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. 
we'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Um, it's, it sounded a lot like he believes that Jesus is like an essential ingredient in the casserole of democracy. Would you agree? Uh, he, he has the right to believe that. What he was saying, if you, if you read our constitution, I, 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 it's a fact. You read the constitution and that said that it was founded on God. And yet there's a, a sentence in our constitution that's related to God. Uh, but, you know, that, that's a fact. That being said, you know, I believe in democracy and we don't have that anymore in Canada right now with their emergency status everywhere. And, and we must end all that. But yes, I was at the press conference and the pastor were there also and with other people, the pastor and other people. And uh, the fact that I was there, I had a specific message. And I think uh, all these people, you know, are fighting to end these uh, mandates. And some of them are different arguments. Uh, and, and I was with uh, doctors that are sitting at the same press conference that the vaccine is no good. The vaccine is not good, and, and everybody must say no to the vaccine. Actually, that's right. not what I said. I'm just wondering if you. I'm just. I'm just wondering if you agree with the underlying message. That's all. That we. It is a. It is a requ A steadfast requirement that a Judeo-Christian underpinning uh, prop up become the foundation of our society. Or do you think that we can have a functioning society without Jesus? I believe that we can without absolutely yeah okay good good and we'll end it we'll end, we'll, we'll end that line of questioning right there because I, I'm so happy you said that by the way um <clears throat> listen the the convoy um does have some problems they, they they I I don't know how you peg down a percentage okay but um I'm familiar with Pat King I'm sure you are too he's an avowed <laughs> racist um you know, it, it's clear from the video footage that I've seen. He's also seems to be one of the organizers. Does the right, and I'm being, gen I'm generalizing on purpose, but does the right, and especially the sort of hard right, have a problem not being able to excise, uh, in the same manner, by the way, that the far left has not been able to excise the extremists in their midst? Why does the right have such a hard time turning their backs on the extremists in theirs? Well, first of all, look look for the, the left. You know, in the U.S., the Black Lives Matter, you know, they are communists. And, and what they did in the summer 2020, you know, that was violent. And that was extreme, extreme left. And we don't have that in our side. You know, all that, everything that is happening in, in Ottawa right now, it's peaceful. There's no violence. And uh, so if you want to speak about extreme in, in one side and the other side, I believe that in the left, they are with, uh, you know, they have a lot of extremists also on that side and maybe more than us. And, and but that's a society. But look at the people that were there at that manifestation. I call that a rally last uh, uh, last weekend and the weekend before uh, ordinary Canadians that are dancing in, in 
the street and on saying, you know, enough is enough. Uh, we want to regain our freedoms. And that was great. So that's a grassroots movement coming from every part of the country. And, and yes, you can have some extreme in that. But what I didn't like, it's the mainstream media focused and just entered on that. And he said that everybody was white supremacist and, and racist. And that that was another lie. And so, yeah, I'm not. I, 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 I'm not holding water for Justin Trudeau either. So, like, I, I know we're polarized. Um, I feel like I largely like a spectator when it comes to this stuff. But as a spectator, I'm keeping my eyes on what's going on. And I see the left and the right having a very similar problem. Um, they explain away the extremist in their myths, violent or not. You know, beliefs can be extreme as well. And they and both sides just sort of shrug instead of being proactive. And I, and I think I understand why. Um, we just saw Aaron O'Toole lose his leadership, and I and I'm fairly certain he lost his leadership because before the last election he pivoted to the center and said goodbye to lots of libertarians and lots of people that would support you. So there's a political calculation more so than a moral calculation. Would you agree with that? Well, for the conservative, yes. For us, no. You know, when we created the People's Party of Canada. And like, like I said, we are doing politics differently because we I don't told do you, you're voting. not allowed to say that anymore, Maxine. You can't, okay, I already okay, know. But I want yeah, people yeah. to understand that, that, you know, we, we are running always on the same platform. So when we started that, because we have a position on immigration, for example, that we want fewer immigrants, people were saying we were our opponents were saying that we were racist. That's not, that's not true. And I said, you know, <laughs> people that must come in our party must share our platform and our, our vision and our principle. If they don't like that, they can go and create their own party. So I was very strict about it and very clear. And we, I'm very proud of what we did. We are growing the party step by step. And the next campaign will be on the same platform. So, so we, that's the big difference between us at the PPC and the Conservative Party of Canada that, uh, you know, saying something a day and the opposite the other day and so no we will say also we believe it. it's too bad for my opponent but i believe that i have the best idea i believe that i have the best vision for this country i believe that i'm right on covid 19. maybe i'm wrong but i believe that strongly and i believe that if i'm speaking about my values openly with passion and conviction will have more support so i'm not looking at the poll today that we are maybe at 10 percent I'm looking and in, in five, five years or two years, we may be at 20 percent. We are growing step by step. We, do you and, um, do, do yes. you uh, sorry, do you um, I don't know how to word this properly. Is there a way that you can foresee um, your party being able to reach across the spectrum in a way that's meaningful? Like I mean, I mean, like, um, like an ambidextrous philosophy towards governing the country. So you are a right-wing politician. I don't mean that disparagingly, but you're a right of center. You're a conservative. Um, uh, I I think that I, I I have anecdotal examples in my own social circle of progressives who voted for you in the last election. Um, but there, there are certain things. I'll give you an example. You you probably believe that the government should be the federal government specifically should be smaller is that is that yes. a fair thing to say okay. yes then then why are a lot of the protesters uh who are in ottawa keep they keep on citing the federal mandate for federal employees 
um, which is roughly 420,000 people. And that is a pool of employees that most staunch conservatives, they don't even want those jobs to exist because <laughs> they want to shrink government. But yet now they're all worried about the mandates that those federal employees who have jobs that they don't even want to exist um, have to endure. That's kind of a paradox, isn't it? No, because we care, you know, uh, and that mandate for federal civil servants, it is a, a fact, it is there, but also the worst, the federal government said to uh, regulated uh, industries that, that they must do the same in telecom industry and some uh, some private corporation are doing the same. So, so you know, when you start mandates and, and it's growing in other industries, we need to fight that and we are fighting against all mandates, but they understand that I, they, these people know that we want a smarter government, less civil servant, a government that won't interfere in provincial jurisdiction, actually a radical decentralization. That's the only solution if we want to keep this country alive. You know, there are separatists in Quebec, separatists in Alberta, and there's a reason for that, because the government does not respect the constitution. We're the only one. So, so we we need to go back to what the father of our constitution the father of our country's uh, country did uh, in 1867 and if you respect that constitution you won't have any fight in between provinces and, and yes you'll have a province that will have more private delivery in healthcare, maybe another province that will have more socialism that will be their choice but uh, we you're right saying that i believe in a smaller government i believe in a, a lower taxes a, uh, more autonomy to provinces. Uh, I want to fight for Canadian sovereignty. That's all part of our platform. And if uh, some of your viewers don't know us, they can go on our website, peoplespartyofcanada.ca, read our platform. You're <clears throat> you know, plugging. Be the same at Stop the plugging, Max. <laughs> they know who you are. Everyone knows who you are. It's fine. <laughs> um, one of the uh, one of the things that stood out for me for this convoy is the lack of savvy among organizers, the lack of a strategy. Um, the fact that it started off as a protest against trucker mandates, um, as far as I know, uh, you can't get into the United States if you're a trucker unless you're vaccinated because of a President Biden policy. <coughs> so I don't know what Trudeau has to do with that. Um, the second thing is that it, it, more, it feels like there's a co-opt culture when it comes to this convoy, because it started off for that. It seemed like that was a Joe Biden decision. They, they put it at Trudeau's feet. Okay. And then there was supposedly a supply chain issue, but then we found out like a few days later that the supply chain issue has, there's always, there's <coughs> been a issues uh, throughout the pandemic and it's sort of, the issue has sort of stayed the same, but now um, the supply chain issue is a direct cause from the convoy. You talked about the ambassador bridge. Uh, we can talk about, um, you know, uh, all, uh, truckers stopping people from going to work. It's bad for the economy. I don't remember many people right of center standing up and applauding indigenous protesters who were using their own version of civil disobedience and blockading the railroads. Can we at least identify that the, there, there is hypocrisy? There's plenty to go around, but the people in the convoy are not absolved from this hypocrisy, are they? But, but first, you know, um, yes, you're right. What is happening right now? It's a decision from the federal government and also from the U.S. government concerning the truckers, <clears throat> both of them. You're absolutely right. And I said that in the beginning. <clears throat> but uh, actually, 
just before you, I did an interview with a, a, a mainstream TV station in Washington, D.C. Uh, tomorrow, I'll do an interview with a German uh, mainstream television. I did one in French yesterday. So all these mainstream media are looking at our country. And now you have convoy in the U.S. that will start from California to go to uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, and and uh, that will have an impact. So I believe that, you know, the U.S. will, will uh, look at their policy concerning truckers. And, and I hope that uh, they will end these uh, mandates from them also. Canada must do the same thing. Absolutely, Trudeau can do his part, but uh, we, need the, we need the U.S. government also to do their part. And I understand that there are some people in the U.S. that are pushing for that also. But not only in the U.S., in other countries. Why we still have this mandate in Canada when it's all open in, in, uh, in other countries, in Europe, and so there's, there's no reason, and that's why more people are coming on side with the, with the truckers. Yes, but, you know, it, it, it will hurt. I agree with you. It will hurt the economy if that bridge is, uh, is closed for a couple of days or months. But look at what they did to the economy the last two years. $500 billion deficit, and we are paying for that. People that are losing their job. University students that cannot have their degree because they decided not to have the two shots, uh, depression, suicide, all that, you know, we are paying for that and will pay for that for the next five, 10 days. The only way to pay for that deficit would be through inflation. And inflation is there to stay because inflation is based on money printing. And the Bank of Canada printed a lot of money. To, uh, to, for the Trudeau government to, do able to, to be able to do this deficit. So that being said, yes, that's why it's a real, uh, like you said, civil disobedience. And, uh, and I'm supporting that. I'm supporting that. When your freedoms and your rights are in danger, and it must end. There's no reason. There's no scientific reason. There's no logic. Everybody can catch and spread that virus. The virus is not dangerous anymore. So let's end that. And uh, and I agree with them. And I hope I hope that Trudeau will understand and stop all that. You know, you can stop that uh, that uh, uh, impact on the economy. It's very easy. Trudeau just have to have a, me a meeting with uh, his counterparts uh, at the provincial level and say, OK, we will end that. We won't give you any compensation for lockdowns and things like that. Uh, Trudeau can end it, and, and I'm very pleased that they did that in Saskatchewan. They will do that in, in Alberta. Uh, so well, that, that's, that's what, that was going to be my next point, and I know um, we only have a few minutes left, I know that, um, but my next point was just going to be uh, history might look at this, and I'm, I'll play devil's advocate for you, because history might look at this as a massive protest for something that was clearly temporary, and they might view it as a great recruiting strategy for yourself, maybe Randy Hillier, although he's kind of dropped off the deep end recently, don't you think, a little bit? Like, but, but no, you know, not temporarily. We were under emergency, uh, state of emergency for the last two years. That's not temporary. I, I cannot travel, you know, uh, since but, last but, but, October. But do you think that it was nefarious, though, Max? Max, do you think do you think that the, this is probably the key question to all of this? Because, uh, you know, I, I see a lot of fuck Trudeau flags. And you know what's funny? 
I don't think he's a good leader at all. I didn't vote for him. I didn't vote liberals. I would not vote. For, in fact, I, I'm on record saying I won't vote for liberals or conservatives until a so different well, party. Welcome. You can support us. <laughs> it's you or Jug Meat because I am not ideological. <laughs> I, I just don't think that the revolving door of win the election, get embroiled in scandals, get voted out, win the election, get embroiled in scandals, get voted out. Um, you remember because you were part of the revolving door and you had a couple scandals, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you know, like, and, and so, but but the point is, is that, um, you know, th this looks like uh, a recruiting, a great recruiting tool for you. Um, and what do you think? I'm going to ask you a political question, actually. What, what do you think uh, uh, the, the conservatives now pivoting again back to the what used to be their base, which is people that have kind of a religious bent, um, pro-life people, uh, you know, people that are just a little more far right than 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 a moderate conservative. You know, that is a direct reaction to this convoy and probably to the percentage that they saw that you received during the last election. You didn't win a seat, but your percentage of the popular vote, I don't think the Green Party has ever even achieved that before. So are you, you know, I mean, Max, I, I wish that it was just me and you in a bar sometimes because I feel like you would lean in and be like, James, I, it's good for the party, you know, or something like <laughs> there's a strategist in there somewhere, right? Like, you know that this is good for you. Where are you now? Where are you? I'm in Killaloo. I'm near Barry's Bay. I'm in oh. uh, Cheryl Gallant's riding. So, so it, it can take time. I can drive over there and we yeah. can have a beer. Okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm very busy. I hope I'll be able to have a beer with you. Absolutely. But, Don't be a tease. Know, Don't tell me that you'll come here and have a beer and then tell me you're busy. That's not nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I don't have time right now. You know, I have to build that party. I want to yeah, have I know. support, yes. But I need to build a strong organization across the country. And that's what I'm working on. But I'm pretty sure that before the next election, I'll be sure to travel in your region and, uh, and have a beer with you. Okay. That's my okay. promise. And I'm, uh, okay. you know, I'm a... I'm doing politics differently, like you know, so I will respect that promise. Okay, but if you come here, uh, we can have a beer. You have to smoke a little bit of weed, just for, it's, it's a tradition in my house, okay? Just a little bit. Okay. It's legal, don't worry about it, it'll be fine. Um, and then the last thing I just want to uh, say before we go is that um, I think it would have been really powerful if there was more footage of the convoy where people who were supporting the message of the I hate Trudeau salad bar, <laughs> So from socks to mandates, come one, come all. If if supporters of the protest would have gone up to some of the stuff, as anecdotal as they may have been, and said, "Get your fucking Nazi flags out of here. You're not welcome here." I, I want to see footage like that, and I think it would do your movement a lot of good. It really would. Yeah, but actually, that person that has that that flag, um, when I was there the first weekend, my team saw him, and he was coming near me and, and because he wanted to be in the shot of the, the camera and the media and my people went to him and said who are you he didn't answer and he had a mask and uh, he said we don't want you near maxime and the guy res respected that and he went away but that was the only flag that was not representative of the crowd over there that's why yeah. i'm very uh, <clears throat> mad about the mainstream media and trudeau that said it's all a bunch of racists because of one guy that was there 
you know, yeah. one guy on maybe 20,000 people that the first uh, there weekend. was there was a few. I've seen some footage. There was a few. But either way, uh, Max, I, I'll let you go. I um, I, 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 you probably you don't need to take my advice. I'm going to give it anyways. Unsolicited. Um, I think your primary message for the next few days should be that of nonviolence. I think oh, that you will like, no, I mean, literally on, on like a redundant message of let's not be violent. Let's not provoke. Let's respect the police. Let's exercise our rights. We don't need violence. I, and I think that maybe um, you might come out looking a lot better than Randy Hillier. Come on. There's something wrong with him right now. Is he drunk I, all the time, I, I Max? Said, uh, James, I just want to let you know, I said that in my press conference yesterday. You know, peaceful, no violence. Uh, and so I will always repeat that. You know, I won't okay. be with people that, you know, <clears throat> look, the mainstream media, when the leftists in the U.S. and, and the Black Lives Matter destroy uh, downtowns in, in certain cities in the U.S., uh, nobody, uh, nobody was, the mainstream media was there and that was okay. So we have yeah. one guy with a fly a flag and, uh, and that was a bunch of racists. So that's why, you know, yeah, it, it's just important. It's just important. Okay. I, I will let you go, please. If you give Randy Hillier an intervention, can you film it and send me the footage, please? Can we do that? <laughs> I'll try it. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Maxine Bernie, everybody. Thanks very much, Max. I appreciate you coming by. We'll have you on again. Okay. Thank you, James. Have a nice day. Okay. You too. Au revoir. Maxime Bernier, leaders of the, leader of the People's Party of Canada. Um, we'll do the uh, post-mortem on that in a moment because I want to invite my next guest on the show now. He is a, and I love saying this word, he is a biostatistician. It's like the greatest word to say when you're not drunk. I, if I was still a drinker, I would never be able to say that word, but here we are. Uh, Ryan Imgrim. Ryan. How are you, buddy? Not too bad Good, you? No, not I'm bad, doing great, bad. man. I'm doing great. Um, that was Max Bernier talking a lot about uh, not getting vaccinated and stuff. When you hear, I don't know if you caught that, the part of the interview about vaccines and stuff, but when, when you hear a person um, basically say that they're going to trade the possible, you know, um, the, the, a possible health crisis for others, in exchange for a little piece of liberty, what goes through your mind? Yeah, I think it's very, very troubling. And I think it's a different kind of science, um, science when you take that approach to things. Because I think really the big thing is that you need to understand how vaccinations work. And vaccinations work if the public buys into them. If you don't have the public buying into vaccines, they're not going to work as well as they're supposed to. It's based off of herd immunity. It's based off of getting more people vaccinated. And when you have more people vaccinated, you can relax some of the interventions and some of the measures which you've stuck into play. But that's how vaccinations work is public buy-in. And having a personal choice when it comes down to something which requires public buy-in, there's, you know, there's some problems with that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I found it. Um, I found it a little bit disturbing that he prioritized his liberty over leprosy. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? We were <laughs> we are starting to see this now. It even in some you know southern states that have now even taken this whole. We don't want to have you know a COVID nineteen vaccine mandate. We're also going to get rid of the vaccine mandate for mumps, for rubella, 
for other conditions which we've had before. It, it's a it's a very slippery slope the other way too, and I think that's what we really ignore sometimes that we ignore the fact that it's a slippery slope the other way, and you can see some of these lawmakers now jumping on and wanting to get rid of vaccines for other things because we don't have them anymore. Well, we don't have them anymore because we have vaccine mandates. That's why most of these things aren't there anymore. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's an odd, I don't know. It, it, I, I hate I hate this whole pandemic in, from one perspective, which, which is that I feel like a monkey trying to figure it out because I am not a doctor. I am certainly not a biostatistician. I'm not like, I'm not smart like that to be able to go, oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, I have to trust people who are experts. And this is a good way to pivot into what I wanted to talk to you about um, mostly, which is that, you know, people gravitate towards information that, that fits their narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I feel I, I try my best not to have a narrative. I'm sure I have some, you know, we all kind of do in the pandemic. I don't know if you would call it a narrative. I'm just like, well, doctors seem like the right people to listen to. <laughs> so I'm going to listen to doctors. And when I find people like even in the chat here, like, you know, gene therapy, this one person is saying, I, I've never met you, Mary. You might be really nice, but doctors tell me I had a doctor on the show on Tuesday. It, it doesn't impact your DNA. It, it it just it's a different kind of technology inside the vaccine that they found was effective. In fact, there's an AIDS vaccine that is really close to being put on market. That is an mRNA vaccine as well. And they have like really high hopes for it. You're you're you work in numbers and data and facts and everything. And I see you get shit on all the time. And I see you fling that shit right back. Um, what is the biggest misconception of the numbers that you put out? And, and what do people say your motivating factor is to fucking lie to everybody so much? Yeah. <laughs> or to you make them afraid. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think the first thing is I basically put out data. And when I first started putting out data, I never gave in opinion along with the data. I never said what that data meant until, you know, we had some politicians basically take my data and then use my data to say their own false narrative um, or to support a narrative that the data in fact supported the other way. I mean, I'll give you one example of that, um, you know, where I lost my mind. And I think a lot of people then assume that you're anti-school because of that. Um, one really big thing that happened was we saw positivity um, in students increase rate over the Christmas holidays. Now, what the government took that to mean is, well, we have positivity increasing, you know, right at the start of the Christmas holidays. It's because schools are safe. And when they were on holidays, being in their household, that was not safe anymore. And I had this really good chart that was kind of out there that would, you know, follow those cases. And sure enough, it would show cases in the younger population over Christmas holidays went down. But that was taken to mean that schools were safe. And that's definitely not what it was saying. And that's when I had to kind of, you know, throw into there and say, the whole reason that we're thinking that positivity went down that first week of holidays, it reflects transmission from the previous week. And that previous week, we had students in school. 
And mm. when you kind of put out that narrative, then all of a sudden people are saying, what, do you want to keep schools closed? What do you want to keep schools shut down? And I'm just simply saying schools are not, schools were the reason that we saw the cases increase. It's not because of like Christmas holidays. So that was one of the first times that I, you know, really commented on schools and for the next week or two weeks. And then when the government announced that schools were remaining closed, I became the number one person to blame because I wanted schools closed, uh, apparently. And you were getting that primarily from the right or were there progressives that were all mad at you too? From everyone. I was getting it from like parents. I was getting it from people who said we need to keep schools open. It was, you know, really from a lot of people that were just ignorant to the data and just more like ignorant to what I was saying. And really what I've always said all along is I want schools safe and they're not as safe as they're supposed to be. And if you don't make schools safe and they're dangerous, you need to intervene sometimes. The best way to intervene would be to make the school safer. But if you can't make the school safer and they're a, a, a dangerous place, you may have to pivot to online. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundle, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I... <clears throat> I, I make predictions sometimes off the cuff. Um, I think Randy Hillier is probably drinking whiskey right now, for example. Um, but but your predictions are is mathematical and people can go back and look at what you said a week ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago and find out if you're right. Now, help me understand as a layperson. Do you have like a is there a batting average? Like like do you have like a way of of being able to communicate well you know my predictions are right x amount of times 92 percent. like what what is there a way to quantify that and if so what would that number be because i see you get shit on so much that i even asked you i'm like can you can you send me some of your mistakes <laughs> so, I can, <laughs> so i can see what they are because people seem really mad so yeah well you know what so like basically a lot of the like project the the like, projections that i've made have been off of something called the reproduction value. And that's just simply a like disease value. It's how many individuals one person with COVID-19 gets sick. Now, the good thing is, if we intervene, we can bring that value down. And we and in other words, it it doesn't have to be that one person makes two people sick. If we intervene and, you know, we have like N95 masks, we do other things like that. Maybe that that like a value goes down to 1.3 or one or whatever it goes down to. So basically my like projections are based off of a constant reproduction value. In other words, if we kept things status quo and we did nothing, this is what would happen. And I think at least what we've seen here in Ontario is that, you know, there's been a lot of criticism too of the science table, but we always need to keep in mind that the science table always gives projections right before the government intervenes. So there was one where I think they had said that we're going up to 10,000 cases, and this was two Christmases ago. We never came close to 10,000 cases. Why not? 
because we intervened. My modeling would have also showed at the time that we're going to hit 10,000 cases based off of a constant growth factor, but we can change that constant growth factor by intervening. So I can't win because either like either we reach that 10,000 or, you know, we drop and then I'm wrong because we don't reach the 10,000. And if we don't reach the 10,000, it's because we've intervened. And then people say, well, we intervened because you said that we're going to have 10,000 cases and we never got close to 10,000 cases. We never should have intervened. But if we didn't, we would have got to 10,000 cases. Yeah. Are those are, are those things tough to prove? Because I, I was looking at the data. I say data. Is that okay? I know you say yeah. data, but sure, I'm, 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 a data, I'm, a, I'm a data guy. Uh, but I, I see stats, especially in the States where it's like, there's certain places that, um, were loose on restrictions and there were places that were really tight on restrictions. And in some, in, in a, not a lot of cases, but in some cases I've noticed that there's, they're negligible, the differences between them. So how, like, this is why monkeys like me, get confused because I, you know, what works and what doesn't. And, and is it, is, is COVID just like this chameleon, you know, virus where it's like, it doesn't necessarily have a consistent um, way of spreading uh, in different areas. Like, like help this monkey understand, because I, I'm very confused as to why different places that do different things often have the same results. Yeah. So I think, you know, one thing that we hear a lot of is look at Florida, look at Florida, look at Florida. I think that's been a very, very common theme. Well, the one thing that we know about geographically with Florida is that you're more likely to be doing like outdoor activities than you are in, let's say, northern Ontario or really anywhere throughout Ontario. So that's the you know first kind of a factor. And we have learned throughout this pandemic that outdoors is safer. Therefore, just knowing that on a like baseline, if you wanted to control rates in Ontario and also Florida, you'd have to do more in Ontario than you would in Florida to have the exact same impact. Now, how do we measure the impact? Well, you can look at things that you can't really disagree with, and that would be like mortality rate per 100,000 people, let's say. And we know that in Florida right now, it's three times higher than here in Ontario when you look at the actual mortality rate. And once again, if we had the exact same interventions, our cases would have gone up more. So like, just because they're three times higher with mortality rate, doesn't mean that we did three times more to intervene. In fact, we, we would have to do more to intervene once again, just to bring it back to that same level. So when we kind of, you know, like compare some of these places, it becomes very, very challenging because they're not at that exact same geographic level. The other thing to definitely keep in mind is that when we look at the US, they have a totally different healthcare system than here. And when we intervene here, especially in Ontario, where we don't have the best healthcare system when it comes to healthcare capacity. And I don't think there's a like person in Ontario who would like, disagree with me now. We don't have good healthcare capacity here in Ontario. We can't sustain the same kind of a jump that you could in let's say New York City, Florida, or some of these other places where they have like, like ICU capacity. And the reason that we intervened is because we wanted to maintain healthcare capacity. And it's a different approach you need to take in Florida than what you need to take here. But what we do know is that whatever Florida has done, despite being warmer, despite having more outdoor activities, they have a death rate per capita 
three times higher than here in Ontario. Yeah, and speaking of Ontario, uh, where are we now? Like, uh, you know, the the in the ether, I would say the public believes that um, the most general talking point that I think the public probably believes is that Omicron is a lot more contagious and a lot less deadly. Is that yes. fair? That's fair okay. to say, for sure. Yeah. And so is there, does that mean that, like, and listen, <laughs> a year ago, people were like, there's light at the end of the tunnel. We'll be out of this in a couple of months. Like, I know that predicting like long-term is really difficult, but are there experts that are like, no, no, for real, for real this time, I swear. Like we're, we're, we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel. Is that where we're at? Or is there, because I heard for like a day or two about this Omicron B12 or something like the BA2 or something yeah. about, and then it can survive on surfaces and everyone was scared for an hour and a half. And then now I haven't heard about that again. So. Yeah. And that's it. And, and that's, you know, one spot that I've been very, very critical of individuals that make like projections that, you know, this is our last wave. We're not going to have any more waves. And I think that's a very, very dangerous thing to claim because we don't know what's right around the corner. Um, you know, we thought that same thing, at least some experts did right before Delta hit us. If we think back to last March, a lot of people said, we're going to vaccine our way out of this. And then Delta came around and it simply didn't happen. Then we said, look, we're done with it. It's not going to happen again. Then Omicron hit us. And I think that's what happens is that we've seen these variants pop up and we're going to continue to see these variants pop up, especially with so many countries really giving up on the fight now when it comes down to COVID-19. And that's really why like Omicron, they came from South Africa. They didn't have the best testing ability. We look at, you know, uh, like this Denmark. is the graphic that you sent me. This is this is sorry, yeah. just for the people who can't see or or want to know what this is. This is uh, the the data from Denmark, and what uh, is what course what what correlated with the spike there? What what, what change in policy correlated yeah, with so, that spike there again? Yeah. So first off, um, they were able to sort of battle that original kind of Omicron strain, but then when BA two came around, they said, "Look, we're." We're finished with the original Omicron strain. Therefore, we don't need to worry about this anymore. And then they simply removed restrictions. And it's scary because right now, Denmark has the highest per capita cases in the whole entire world. Their hospitalization is on an upward trend. And that's when they decided to remove all restrictions. And what we know is that when you remove all restrictions, when you stop testing, when you stop doing those things, that's where other variants pop up. And that's why it's very, very tough to say, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel forever. There may be light at the end of the tunnel when it comes down to the Omicron variant, but not overall because more variants will inevitably pop up, hopefully less contagious and not as severe. I think we all hope that, but we simply don't know. Um, where do you go from here? I, I, I've talked to so many people in the last month and I'm one of them. Uh, where I am doing something totally different now because of this pandemic. And it was definitely the pandemic that made me, you know, concentrate on on podcasting and writing. And um, I got a book deal. Uh, you know, uh, Karima, uh, you know, has gone out with her camera. She was a lawyer um, who, who all of a sudden the pandemic put her in a direction. I feel like you're kind of the same. Like, you know, you, the pandemic has sort of given you like a purpose during this pandemic. Um, is there like a big demand for biostatisticians uh, in the real world? And uh, what do you see yourself doing? 
There is, yeah. Like I've been working with a whole bunch of like you know, Fortune 500 companies for quite some time now. Um, you know, a lot I can't see their names under uh, like NDAs, but there's a lot of companies um, that really want you to look at the data, and it's simply gone from just simply being medical data and like COVID-19 stuff to actually making a pathway out of this to also looking at at, at like, let's say retail data and saying, look, you know what? Here are the retail numbers for this country, for this place over here. What are things you know we're able to do? So kind of a fresh set of eyes who's looking at data from, let's say, the retail environment that isn't in the actual retail environment himself. So that's what a lot of it has basically moved to is just simply interpreting data and then coming up with next step with a fresh set of eyes. And so where are we going to be in a week, like what is your, what, what do the numbers tell you? Uh, and, and a month, like what is the immediate future based on policies that are currently enacted or that are about to be? Yeah. So I think in the next few days, we're going to start to see the impact of really the reopenings that we had these last few weeks. Um, I'd say in like the next maybe three or four days, um, we can start to monitor the reproduction value and we can see how many, how many individuals, one person with COVID, is actually infecting. So if that value stays around one, then we're gonna basically be like plateauing. In other words, hospitalizations will stay the same, mortality rates will stay the same and all that stuff. So that's something which, you know, which is gonna really, really change over these next few weeks because I believe the next step here in Ontario is February 21st, but we won't get any really good data to see the impact of that reopening until like the start of March. So really it's, it's not easy to, like tell weeks in advance when you introduce new interventions. It's just basically an intervention gets introduced, but then look at the data two weeks after the intervention, maybe even 10 days, and you can get a really good hint of where things are going. With that being said, where are things going now? Well, we are not declining as fast as we were before we kind of reopened everything, but we are still declining. In other words, I think right now the reproduction value is around 0.9. In other words, 100 people would infect 90 people in about three days. So our numbers are still dropping, but they're not dropping as fast, which is still fine as long as that reproduction value is under one. And as long as those values are actually dropping, we're in a good state. Weren't they right around three, like six weeks ago or something? I believe, um, you know, 2.9 or something. Yeah. Like yeah. depending on your method on how you actually calculated that value, I believe at one time just the Omicron variant itself was at like 4.4, um, which wow. is which is unbelievable. Um, but then it outcompeted Delta. We really got the news out there that this was a very, very like contagious variant. And we really started selling people on these N95 and then the like N95 masks. We finally started to acknowledge that COVID-19 is airborne. It's always been airborne. But it sort of gave the government an excuse to say, well, now it's airborne with the Omicron variant, but it wasn't airborne before. So now we can take precautions. But here's why we didn't before. Yeah, it's interesting. Like uh, I was trying to tell that to Bernier about how a fluid situation. I mean, that doesn't even come close to describing what what this entire saga was. And, um, you know, I I have a question that just popped into my head for you. Why do you engage with the people that 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 fuck with you? <laughs> That's a good question. Well, you know what? See, really, what it comes down to is the way like Twitter works is you can see other people's responses, and the the dangerous thing with that 
is that if somebody hijacks one of your threads and they have a lot of followers themselves um, and they start to like those comments and things like that, the like, Twitter algorithms are going to put their responses at the very, very top. So then the second somebody sees my data, right underneath it, they'll see somebody's boneheaded interpretation of what's going on. And what you'll see underneath that is the most common response to that, which I want that response to be mine. So at least I'm able to respond to that person who is making those boneheaded comments. And just simply not saying anything means that those comments stay there, they're unchecked. And I have a really, really big problem with not checking people when they're passing on misinformation. And I think the mainstream media has that exact same problem with fact-checking people that are constantly spreading misinformation. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I look at my analytics a lot on Twitter and I look at that far column, the engagement rate. Whenever I'm just like an awful piece of shit, that engagement rate is like through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> you know like yeah and and it's like fuck because <laughs> you want people to know who you are but it's like fine i'll call you a cunt jesus <laughs> like you know not not literally well sometimes but um and that makes it frustrating especially because when your business and mine certainly is not is math you know like it, it, it as a, as a math guy you're like well more people will see true data if i call you an asshole <laughs> <laughs> right and then they come that's got to be a little bit frustrating it is or do you like it I, or do you like it is there a part of you that's like you know what i fucking like it well it, it's been nice being called on to give opinions about data um and i think that's you know really what's different from what i kind of intended to do from the start which is simply stick out those numbers and not really comment on them but then as i said once i saw people hijacking my numbers and having it to fit their false narrative then i slowly started going into a point that I'll actually in, you know, interpret this data for people. And then once you start to interpret data, then you know, someone's like, well, this person said this, then you get into that more opinion area. And you know, it's been interesting at times giving opinions about things. I mean, that's really what my work is outside of social media is simply looking at data and giving opinions on things, looking at things critically and saying, here's what you can do with the data. Here's what I think you can do with the data. And I think, you know, that's something which I moved to that I never thought I would have to move to. I simply thought, as you said, here's the numbers, here's the graphs, and then you just go at it. Yeah, I mean, like uh, my, my wife was a uh, research, I think she was like the research manager of Nestle Canada. Um, and then before that, Johnson & Johnson, don't send me hate mail, I know they're fucked up with the water. Um, but they, uh, you know, she, she was telling me last night in my anticipation of interviewing you, I was telling her about you and she was like, yeah, she was like some of her most rewarding times working at Nestle was, was listening or actually it was Diageo back in the day when she started. And she was like, she would listen to all these, like what she calls whizzy stats guys and like how they have so many variables and so many different ways of coming up with insights and then eventually predictor models that would be based on some of the most random shit, but they would always be bang on. And, and that's what I find interesting. It's like, it's like alchemy, but it works. You guys are spinning gold from numbers. You know what I mean? You're right. There are so many variables. And, and I think that's where, you know, sort of data scientists, biostatisticians come into play is that they understand that if one number goes up, it's not because of one reason. For instance, you know, we know like blood pressure may be different from one person to the next. 
that's not because of one single gene. There are literally thousands of genes that help control blood pressure. And it's the exact same thing when it comes down to like case counts as well. There's thousands of variables that impact case counts. And, and I think really why there's been a lot of disagreement when it comes down to COVID-19 is, okay, well, we know that thousands of variables affect COVID-19 rates. Which variables do you think we should tweak that would have the biggest impact on like bringing down cases? Should we tweak 10 of these minor ones or should we tweak these two major ones? And I think that's where a lot of disagreement comes into play. You're not going to please, you know, even one person all the time. I'm certain that because it sounds like social engineering a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and you know what? And that, like of the, you know, of the like 88,000 followers I have right now, I can tell you there's there no way there's one single follower that has agreed with every single thing that I have said. Absolutely not. Because you're right. There's so many different factors. And it's like, what things do we have to do in order to, in order to bring down cases, you know, schools, let's say, and that's, you know, been one area and it's been so black and white. It's been schools are open or schools are closed. And we didn't look at this kind of a, like a, like gray area where it's like, well, you know what, let's maybe send high school kids in two days a week, one week, and then three days the other week, we don't find this gray area. And I think that's where I'm, you know, I've sort of specialized this last little bit. It's finding this like gray area, not making things black and white, but finding this area in between that nobody's really talking about. Yeah. Well, listen, man, you do a great job at it. And um, I enjoy the, I enjoy your snark. <laughs> if you're good at math, you should just allow it to be a little salty. I, th I think that's... Uh, I agree. Yeah. Um, listen, man, thank you very much for coming uh, on the show. I learn a lot um, when, when you come on and um, when you're, you know, you've been on Dean's podcast a few times and I'll probably not retain any of the information that you gave me today, but it's good because <laughs> I have you on my Twitter feed all the time. So absolutely. Ryan, great. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. See you. Take care. That was a fun show. Um, there was a, there was a there was a moment where I w uh, was thinking about putting uh, Max and, and Ryan on at the same time, and and I just sort of decided not to. And um, I'm a bit of, of a control freak. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Um, I like one on one interviews. I am I'm, I'm interviewing hopefully sometime in the next two weeks. Uh, Ryan Lindley, one of our inner circle guys here at uh, at Dean Blundell at the Dean Blundell Network, and um, I preempted him by saying. I want to interview your wife separately <laughs> because uh, two at a time just doesn't feel right. I'm going to have to watch that Maxime Bernier interview or listen to it and see uh, if there's any changes that I would have made because um, I enjoyed our conversation. I always enjoy talking to him. And guys, I don't think he's a white supremacist. Uh, I think that he knows that a, a certain percentage of his support is propped up by them and he doesn't like to talk about that. I guess I can <laughs> understand why. Um, but I don't think he's ever going to get um, the expanded support that he wants if he doesn't find a way to say, fuck you, not, you know, white supremacist people, you know, don't don't bother voting for me. But politicians are, you know, they value votes, right? They value votes more than they um, want to identify with the ethics of every voter that votes for them. So we'll see how it goes. The convoy is still happening. A bunch of people are causing a bunch of shit and we are um starting to feel it in 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 our economy and uh, we'll see how that goes uh stay tuned for the dean blundell show at three ish because we never start on time and thanks for joining us really appreciate it guys
listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer. Such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon.